You found us through fly fishing. You'll stay for our passion and the community. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Podcast. Yeah, but he doesn't get it. How come fly fishermen don't get it? You only haul with the short power snap. Look for where people walk and the insides of bends and hunt those. The roof blew off and the interior walls got sucked out and the trees are just coming up. And I mean, he's clearly not going to clear the trees. It is not a fly fishing story. It's a story about me trying to understand my brother through fly fishing. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Today's episode is sponsored by Daiichi Fishing Hooks, a leader in the fly fishing industry and still the world's sharpest hook. Tempered with carbon-rich steel, Daiichi offers superior penetration without compromising the hook's structural integrity. You can head over right now to wetflyswing.com slash Daiichi and check out what they have going and check out these killer hooks. That's Daiichi, D-A-I-I-C-H-I. We've been waiting for you. Follow our guests, follow us on Instagram, and share this episode and the love if you enjoy this podcast. And we are live in three, two, one. How you guys doing? We're doing great. Great. Awesome. Well, I want to start this off and say, Craig, you've been on the podcast before, episode 427. We'll have a link to the show notes to that. It was a great episode. We talked about 1% for the planet, everything. You Some great stories there. We're going to touch on some of that today. Yvonne, your name has come up uh, a lot on our podcast. We have a fly fishing podcast, but we had a lot of people that have noted you over the years. Um you know, so lots of stories. So I'm happy to have you on it. You hear the story from, you know, you yourself today. Uh, we're going to talk conservation, talk about the new book that's coming out, which is pretty amazing. But um, before we get into it, we've heard Craig's uh, founder story or this fly fishing story. Tell us, Yvonne, how did you first get into fly fishing? Where did this start for you? I mean, I, I've been a fisherman all my life. I started when I was, I don't know, six or seven years old back in Maine. And I was a spin fisherman until I was 18. And one day I was in the uh, in the Tetons, and there was this uh, famous mountain guy, Glenn Exum, out on the meadow teaching his son how to fly fish, how to cast. And I I've never I never had seen that before. So I was I'm standing there. I didn't I didn't know Glenn or anything. I'm just standing there watching, and he looks over at me. He says, "Come on over here, son." And he showed me how to cast a fly rod. And so I went out and and bought a spin fly rod, a combination. I take that into the Wind Rivers with me and, you know, to eat fish. <laughs> and uh, so I've, I've never gone back to spin fishing since. So I, that, was, that was a long time ago. That was a long time ago. So roughly, was that before, that was after you started Patagonia? Or was that before? That was before. Oh, that was before. There you go. Okay. Yeah, that was that was like 1958 or something. 1958. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I started Patagonia in 73. That's right. Perfect. And and Craig, we heard your, your founder's story, or your story getting into it. I'm curious, and you also talked about how you guys met. I, I'm curious on this, like the conservation ethic, maybe for both of you or whoever wants to dig in here. Where did that come? Where did that start? Was that early for both of you guys? Well, I, I used to buy stuff from his shop. I'd come into his shop and I don't know, 
I, I think uh, we found out that we were both giving, he was giving 2% of his sales for the Yellowstone because he realized that, you know, his business is dependent on Yellowstone Park. He felt a responsibility to help them out. And I've, I was giving 1% of Patagonia sales and we decided to start 1% for the planet together and started fishing together. And I mean, I'd go into a shop and I didn't know anybody in there. I just buy stuff and walk out. And then I, I don't know where. No, you and I were just fishing one day, sitting here on the bank of the river. And we started talking about what we were both doing in terms of standing up for conservation and supporting, uh, our natural resources, and we decided, what the heck? Let's let's start up an alliance of businesses, and we call it one percent for the planet. And away we went. There you go. And that it seems like there's always there's that, and it seems like there's been a bunch of things, especially with Patagonia, Yvonne. I mean, I've heard, you know, I mean, obviously giving the company away to the planet, our home planet, right? I mean, you've essentially maybe talk about that a little bit. What is why was um, what was that? Maybe describe what you did there. And then why was the moment, you know, when you did it, why did you do it now and, or, and not later? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> kind of a pessimist about the fate of this planet. And I kind of like this planet. It's pretty cool, you know. It's just like uh, <laughs> there's no rainbows on Mars. And uh, so I, I feel like I don't feel like this giving 1% is charity. It's a cost of doing business. I mean, we're polluters like everybody else, and uh, we're using non-renewable resources. And I have always felt a responsibility to do something about it. And so that led to, uh, you know, I mean, charity is when at the end of the year you have a bunch of extra money and you give some away. But this is just the cost of doing business. Whether we're profitable or not, we give 1% of our sales. It's just like our, our new little book that will be out shortly the proceeds, the proceeds from the sale of that book are going to go strictly to conservation. Exactly. So all all proceeds of that book are going to conservation. That's right. As was our our first book, Simple Fly Fishing, in Simple Fly Fishing Revised. Gotcha. So, and we're, we'll put a link to that book. When is that book coming out? Let's just let's get that out. Is that out now, or is it coming out soon? No, no. It'll be it'll be a year probably. Yeah, a year. Okay. Yeah. We keep. Thinking of new things we have to include. <laughs> it's a very short book, but, yeah. but it's like Italian and cooking, you know, which uses only five ingredients. But each <laughs> ingredient's got to be perfect. So, right. It's really easy to write a big book. You know, it's like short stories are the most difficult thing to write. Right. So this book is, it's interesting because I know the history of talking about the fly, Yvonne, you've had this one fly that you've used, or you, I think you used for a long time. You caught all sorts of bonefish in every species. Simplifying it, I think, is your, is that your ethos? Is that what you think of fly fishing? And, and you know, for you, yourself, the simpler, the better? Yeah, that's my whole, whole life. I mean, I, I try to simplify everything and whether it's making clothing or, you know, I really believe that something is perfected. Not when you can't add anything more to it, but when you can't take anything away. So if I were to spend the rest of my life fishing with one fly, it would be a size 14 flimp, I think. Oh, the flimp. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Yeah, we've had uh, Rick Hafley is a friend of the show, and we've had him on a couple times as well, and he's talked about the flimp. I know it's a little bit of that history there. 
So, and that's it. So what is, you know, fly fishing? I've interviewed, you know, hundreds of different people in the fly fishing space. And, uh, you know, we've heard different stories about things, but what is it for you that you kind of, it sounds like, you know, what do you love? What do you, what do you guys hate about fly fishing? You know, what are the, what are the bad things in the industry? That's not quite as, you know, what's the opposite of what you're talking about? Simplification. Uh, I think, I think it's uh, the fashion part of it. I mean, you know, it's like women's face cream. $125 bottle of face cream has got to be better than a $25 bottle, right? Like a $1,200 rod's got to be better than a $250 rod. Well, that's absolute. B- You're not going to catch one more fish. And, you know, I mean, you've got fly lines, Western dry fly line, Eastern dry fly line, pike lines. I mean, that's all. B- it's all to make people feel insecure and drive the industry. And it doesn't have to be that way. You know, everything's based around more and more and more, and you, you see these old-timers on the bank. They're sitting on the bank picking off a dozen fish. They don't have a drift boat. They don't have bobbers on the end of their line. They're doing it by feel and by instinct, and they're fishing one fly, and they're just cleaning house, and everybody's drifting by them, yelling and screaming, and they got two bobbers on, and they might catch a couple of decent fish a day, but boy, they're sure decked out in $10,000 worth of gear. Yep. We always used to joke about like you just walked out of the Orvis catalog. You got everything from the catalog on, and it's <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think you're right on because it's really interesting because the industry, you know, making it harder or seem like you need more stuff and harder to get into is not good for getting new people into fly fishing, right? I mean, you think simplifying it, make it the simple, would get more people, and so it's kind of this reverse thing that's probably going on. I mean, everybody they're trying to make money, right? Everybody's trying to make money, so you got this business, but there's some balance. How have you guys found, like, just in business itself, like, I know, Yvonne, your history is you've just done your own thing, and it's it's worked out, it seems like, is your story. But when you guys look at it, what would be a business advice you'd give to, to a company that wants to do the best for the planet, for our home planet, for conservation, but also wants to make some money? Any advice there? Well, uh, you know, I, I believe in karma, and I believe that if you do all the right things in business, try to be as responsible as possible. It's just good business, and it all comes back in profits, even though I, we don't focus on profits. It comes back in profits, and, and I mean, when I gave, gave the company away last year or so, you can't believe how many opportunities I've had to fish private waters and stay at lodges for free. I mean, it, it's unbelievable. It's, it's karma, and... uh you know, I, I I just fished a Spring Creek yesterday that's dry fly only, and the guy knows I use soft tackles. He said, we, we're going to make a dispensation for you. <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> well, a soft tackle is pretty close to a dry fly. It's almost right. You it can is. Almost, yeah. It is. Lymph isn't, but a, but a regular soft tackle is, is on the surface. Common in customer service and doing the right thing, from a business standpoint and an environmental standpoint. And it's really interesting to watch. You know, I was in the fly fishing business for 40-some years, and it was really interesting to listen to competitors say, you can't do that, you're not going to make it. Your location's not in the right spot, you're not going to make it. But it revolves around customer service and doing the right thing for the resource. And people that weren't customers would come in prior, would come into the store and say, you know what? 
I'm a customer of yours now, and it's because of what you're doing for our resource. And that that's uh, that and it's mixed with karma is just the right combination. That's it. That's it. And and on that soft tackle, and I'm curious because we, this is of course the Wet Fly Swing podcast. We cover all topics, but I started. I had that name as more of a throwback to traditional for me myself too. Think I'm simplifying it. You don't hear a lot about swinging flies, swinging soft tackles. It's kind of this also this traditional thing that's out there. Is that something you do, uh, Yvonne, or either you guys do you swing these soft tackles, or is it a different type of technique? No, I do everything I can to avoid swinging a soft tackle. Nice. Let's hear how you do it. Give us your, like, if we were to do it today, how would we do it to catch a fish? Well, I'm trying to imitate emergers. I mean, 95% of a trout food is taken under the surface, not on the top. And I think emergers are, are the most important stage of mayflies and caddis flies and stuff. And insects don't swim this way. They swim this way. And so it's a misnomer to say swinging uh, these flies. I mean, yeah, there are some wet flies, like traditional eastern wet flies that you swing them, yes. But most of those imitate little tiny minnows or something. They're not imitating insects. They're gaudy. They're, no insects look like that. And so the flimph, which is something no one talks about these days, it's basic. The difference between a flip and a soft tackle is soft tackles are on lighter hooks. A flip is on a 2X heavy hook. And uh, I use a lot of soft tackles, and they, they imitate a lot of emergers and uh, cripples. Uh, maybe I can't say cripple anymore. They're physically challenged, right? <laughs> right. Impaired. Impaired, yeah. Right, okay. They imitate a lot of stages of, you know, trout. Trout are they're bullies, and and they'll take advantage of of these flies that are trying to get out of their shuck. And uh, you know, they're masters of putting out the least amount of energy. And and that's uh, you know, a done on the surface drying his wing, and he comes up from five feet, and the thing flies away. He just wasted a bunch of energy. But if it's stuck in his shuck, trying to pull his one leg out, and you know it's it's a done deal, and so it's that two inch increment going to the surface is what is the trigger that really makes for successful fly fishing, and so the flip on two X heavy hooks is six inches down. You give it little twitches, and it's a done deal. It's kind of and, and what I found, it makes no difference the color of the fly. It's the action is, the, is what counts. And I, I, I use a metaphor of you got a, a cat and a toy mouse, and you pull a toy mouse across the floor, and the cat goes into his prance, and he's looking at it, looking at it, and you stop it, you give it a twitch, he pounces, right? Yeah. And that's... Any predator, I mean, you know, grizzlies love it when you run. <laughs> so the whole deal is to give action. And it doesn't matter whether you're nymph fishing. You know, Euro nymphing is not dead drift. It's constantly making the fly do this and looking like an emerger. So I, I think that's what this book is about, you know, is 
you know, in a dry fly, if you're using hoppers, you give it a twitch, boom, that's when they take. And it's also no drag, you know, that can be really important. So, see, in the last couple of days for me, I, I'm strictly fishing surface flies. And if they're taking blueing olives on, on an inclement weather day, like we're probably going to have today, raining wet, I'm using a sparkle gun with a trailing shuck, just a very simple fly fishing at dead drift as they take uh, impaired duns, those fish that are, are caught in the shuck, whether it be a, uh, a caddis with an, an X caddis that imitates that, a caddis caught impaired, it's caught in its shuck. But the last couple of days, I've been using these enormous flies that I tie. They're big beetles in <laughs> their size. You, you wouldn't believe them. They're size eights and tens. <laughs> and I slap them on the water and I, I impart a little bit of action. Dead drift right next to the bank. And these big browns are going into a pre-spawning phase. They're very aggressive. They're just beautiful fish. They're all colored up and they're big. And I'll slap it on the water. A lot of times they come to the plop, but quite often I twitch it a little bit and these big fish just wham. Oh, wow. They grab it. You never catch a little fish. All you catch are great big brown trout in the occasional rainbow. And it's by using these big flies this time of the year and just a little bit of action. And does it make any difference what color that fly is? No. <laughs> you know, that, that's interesting. A guy told me the other day, he says, well, it's because of the color of the legs you're putting on these. <laughs> nah. Yesterday, I had a brown pull all the legs off the fly, and he, they still took it. That, that mouse in front of a cat makes no difference whether it's a yellow mouse yep. or a tan mouse. Yep. It's the action that counts. And once they start coming, they can't hold back. I mean, very seldom do you ever miss them. They just engulf that fly. I agree. I agree. Yeah, one of my favorite flies is the old uh, tied-down caddis. I don't know if you guys, you know, that old yeah, tradition. Yeah, sure, I remember to, that. Yep. We'd tie it with a peacock body. So it was, ba it was basically just deer hair peacock. And the more the fish, especially in the evening when they'd eat that and the and the shell would start breaking up, it just got better and yep. better. And Until by the end of the night, it was just a little ball of fur, you know, feathers yes. and fur. And it worked. Yeah. Well, you know, I was in British Columbia this year, in northern British Columbia, up in the Spatsizi. And I was fishing for rainbows, and I'd never seen humans before. And it was so stupid. I, the last day, I was standing in one spot without moving my legs, and I landed like 30 rainbows. And I realized that the last five had no nothing on the hook. It was an absolute bare hook, not even thread on it. Wow. And all they did was quarter it down. When the line was tight, I'd give it a little twitch. Bam. <laughs> Amazing. And and I I I've uh I know a guide in uh in the Bahamas who says he guys a guy who uses a bear hook for bonefish. Wow. A bear hook and he at different colors, but there's nothing on the hook, just color. Wow. The action that counts. Yeah. And that's essentially the premise of this book you guys have is like simplify it so everybody can just grab this book, even if you're brand new to fly fishing. Is that kind of the idea? You can get out there and get going? Well, it's it's a fly tying book yes. because you, you can't buy these flies now. And it's 17 or 18 flies all tied with pheasant tail bodies. Yep. Soft tackles, nips, and, uh, and dry flies. And there's going to be a little QR code on the front of it that you can scan and watch us fishing and watch us tying every one of the patterns in the book. It's going to be really unique in that regard. Nice. 
That's a great idea. I love it. Okay, so so you guys do use a little tech. I know Yvonne, you yours a while you didn't have a cell phone. Do you do you have a cell phone now or are you still staying away from the phones? I have a cell phone. I've never turned it on. <laughs> so you have one, okay. I don't <laughs> Good. Good, good. <laughs> no, I've got nothing to do with this interactive stuff, but uh but I think it's gonna be pretty cool. We, we I was just in Labrador salmon fishing and we've got an hour and a half of dry fly fishing for salmon where you know we've got a little x caddis size 12 x caddis you know boom 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 we're coming along the surface then a big white mouth comes up all in slow motion takes his flight and then goes eight you know just corkscrewing in the air doing flips and we got an hour and a half of that stuff wow and all we need is two minutes <laughs> Jeez, it's gonna be pretty cool so do you want to, can you give us a little heads up on a few of those flies that are in this book? Have we talked about a few of them or are these all top secret until it comes out? No, no, um, not at all. Every one of the dry flies, I'd try a dry fly, pheasant tail, beetle. Most of the flies though, in terms of dry flies, are like our sparkled untied with pheasant tail, X caddis tied with pheasant tail, and midges, Zelon midges tied with little pheasant tail. Unquas has picked up some of the patterns that they'll be selling. But they're very simple to tie. And the thing with the pheasant tail, you know, pheasant tail materials, the material itself is these frilly little bar, barbules. If you look at them under magnification, you'll see that. And they sink like a rock if they get wet. But they also accept floatant. And they just suck up all the fly float. So they'll float like a cork when you apply floatant. If you want them to sink, you don't put floating on. If you want them to float, you do. And they're so durable Simply, I just rib them with my tying thread, figure eight ribbing every one of the patterns, and they it's as good as using dubbing. And a lot of guys have trouble applying dubbing, particularly with small fly, where pheasant tail, you just bury the amount of uh, barbs that you use, whether they're one barb or, or six barbs for larger flies. Very simple flies to tie. Anybody can tie them. They float like a cork in terms of the dry fly, and they work like a dream. And if you look at most insects, whether it's pale morning duns, pale evening duns, beetles, ants, all those, you look at them and if you want to be really particular about color, they do look exactly that they resemble the, the natural. Most naturals when they emerge are rust colored for what that's worth. And like Yvonne says, color doesn't seem to make a difference. But a lot of fly tires don't believe in that. They're going to be, oh no, color is paramount. But look at the color of a pheasant tail uh, material when it gets wet. It resembles pretty much every insect known to man as it emerges. There you go. Nice. Well, this is awesome. I love it. We'll, and we'll have links to the book in the show notes as well. I want to I want to get back on Patagonia real quick because I have a question for you, Yvonne. On just you know, I'm not sure where you are with the business. I mean, obviously you gave the you know gave it away to the the planet. I mean, are you? How do you see planet Patagonia in the next? 15 years. I don't even know if you look out that far. Like we've got all this stuff going on with climate change. There's a lot going on. We're hoping we can, we can do some stuff here, but we get that doom and gloom thing a lot on the podcast. I mean, we talked to a guest that said, Hey, brook trout are going to be going away. They're going extinct. They're going to be extirpated. Like there's nothing we can do. So I feel like we have to combat that, you know, message. Like, do you think Patagonia is going to be in the forefront? And are you still involved in the company pretty much? Yeah, I'm working harder. I've worked in a long time. Well, you in the company, I didn't, I didn't really give a whether I walked away from it or not. I mean, you know, I, I used to have a climbing equipment company and 
I walked away from that and never looked back. And But now that it's not my company, I feel a terrible sense of responsibility to keep it successful. And I've been very much involved in uh, redesigning every single piece of fishing gear to make it perfect. And yeah. <laughs> you're in it. You're, you're still fully involved. I'm involved in giving the money away. I mean, since... Uh, since we announced giving the company away, we've given away about $40 million. And there's another $30 million before the end of the year. So we're able to give away a lot more. And before we were giving, you know, $10,000 grants. And now we're looking at some things that are almost a million dollars. And so it's a lot more work giving the money away because you got to re really do your due diligence and make sure you're not wasting it. But I can tell you, I can tell you a good one. We just did. Let's hear it. We just bought a dam. We bought a dam in British Columbia for a dollar. What? <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's an old mining dam that dammed this river that had sockeye and they've got a giant lake behind it. And the dam company wants to get away from their uh, responsibility. So they sold it to us for a dollar. <laughs> and so now we got to raise 20 million to restore it and take it out and restore the, the sockeye run. And then we're going to go plant trees where the lake used to be so that it captures carbon. And uh, I mean, that's pretty fun, you know? Yeah, that is fun. You don't have to wait for the government to take out the dam. You just do it yourself. Wow. <laughs> this is amazing. So that's something I guess if people listening now, you know, I think I think I I try to always have an optimistic look on things, right? There's all these dams. There's lots of dams that are coming out, right? You mentioned one. There's big, small, lots of things. What could somebody do now? I mean, I know you're doing a lot of stuff with local groups, doing videos and movies and stuff like that. What would be your your guys' advice for people if they want to have some impact to help change the tide of this climate change we're in? I don't, I don't, I can't answer that for individuals. Everybody's got to answer that themselves. I mean, some people are good writers. And they need to be writing about the injustices of the world. I mean, photographers have a lot of power. If you're rich, dig into your pocket and give it to organizations that are doing good work. Volunteer. I mean, you, you just have to... I mean, when we change our mission statement to simply say we're in business to save our whole planet, I asked every single one of our employees, what does that mean for your job? And a lot of you know, it's a lot of soul searching and and it really changes the way you do your job. It really does. And you have to stand firm too, you know, when you, when you have to tell your story, you have to tell people what you're doing and what you're involved with. I recently gave a talk to the Montana State University School of Engineering. I know nothing about engineering, but I do know about activism and advocacy. And we got those kids rocking and rolling. There were 300 attendees. And at the end of it, we had ladies crying and husbands saying, I'm going to get involved. And before they was like, I can't do anything, can I? And I said, yes, every one of us that are sitting here today can. Learn about the issues, get involved, because we're on the final countdown. The clock is ticking. And we can save this planet, but we got to all get involved to the best of our ability. Some people don't have money, but they can go door to door and knock on doors and tell their story recently sitting in a dentist office and the gal cleaning my teeth didn't believe in climate change. 
I said, get that goddamn uh, <laughs> sucker out of my mouth. I got to talk to you here. And you tell your story. Yeah. Stories. And I think that's the power. And that's what we're doing here. We're trying to share the story, right? That's powerful. Quick break for a word from our sponsor. With more than 40 years of experience in coffee, the Angler's Coffee Team roasts a full range of coffee with one goal in mind, delivering excellent coffee to every single angler. Responsibly sourced from farms using sustainable growing practices, you can rest easy knowing you are doing your part. Roasted and shipped within 48 hours to assure freshness. For me, it's all about that freshness and taste when I crack open a bag of anglers in the morning. I feel good because I know not only does it taste great, but I am supporting great movements along the way. With a blend for every taste, a dry dropper on the go tea bag option, and a roast sampler, you know Joe at Anglers is serving your needs. It's time to step up to better coffee and more impact for the fish species and causes we love. You can head over to wetflyswing.com slash anglers right now to grab a bag of greatness today. That's anglers, A-N-G-L-E-R-S, to make a change today. So I, again, we're talking books. You guys have this not this great book coming out, Yvonne. You know, "Let My People Go Surfing." I think was one of your famous books. More, I guess it's a business book. Talk about just quickly on that. What? Why did you write that book? And is that a great book for anybody in business to read? Well, I originally wrote it as a manual for our own employees because we were in business for different reasons. None of us wanted to be businessmen. So what are we doing here? You know, why are we in business and how do we want to create a business that we can, you know, walk up the stairs two steps at a time instead of dragging our ass up. And so I wrote the book for that reason. It's, it's, it's all our, it's a culture book really. And, and I, I had no idea it was going to be so successful. It's sold over half a million copies now in 11 languages. And we're revising it again for the third time now. It really stuck with young people. You know, it, it's, we're not, I'm not naive thinking that I'm going to change these giant corporations. They're, it's not going to happen. But it's young people who really see a different way of doing capitalism. And uh, that's where it, it's really done some good, I think. Well, recently we spoke to uh, Cole College and University of Iowa and talked about activism and advocacy and what we're talking about today. And young people packed the audience, and some of them brought their parents to listen. And it was really gratifying afterwards to talk to these young people because they all said, we're going to get involved, and thank you for coming and talking to us because we had no idea that we could make a difference. And I think that's huge. And when you touch young people, the energy is so awesome. I mean, they go out and they they spread the word, and that's what's going to save this planet of young people. Yeah, I think when they look at my my history, I mean, I got a high school education in audible in auto in auto shop, <laughs> a degree in auto shop, and uh, so I'm starting from scratch, you know. And they realize that they don't have to get a master's in business, and you know, they're in business school and they're studying case histories of multinational corporations. They can't relate to that. They can relate to somebody who started from nothing and, and you know, didn't have, to, didn't get a bunch of money from their parents and to start a business and went, you know, 
So anyway, that's why the book is successful. Yeah. I think. That's it. That's it. I know. I love. I love that message, and I. You know, I have kind of that message. I try to think of my kids, you know, they're nine and 11 now. And they asked me the other day, hey, how do I make money? You know, I want to make some money. And, you know, I, I built this podcast and this business around, I have no education, right, in this in this field. But I built it around a passion of loving fly fishing, loving conservation, you know what I mean? And it's been successful because we built a little tribe, a little community. Nothing like Patagonia or, you know, or your, your businesses, Craig, you know, obviously, you know, these giant things. But I think it's just been this passion. Do you guys feel that that's really, I mean, is that what's helped you guys succeed? Oh, totally, totally. Yeah, here I was in law enforcement. I have a degree in law enforcement, postgraduate degrees in law enforcement and education. And here I start a fly fishing business in West Yellowstone, Montana, <laughs> hiring hiring uh, handicapped fly tires. And we had 46 fly tires. We had federal prisoners. We had wow. handicapped and we're tying flies, and everybody said, "You're not. You're not going to be able." And along, and it was because of the passion of fly fishing and fly tying. And then along comes conservation and all the environmental stuff that we came involved with, and that continues to this day. Even though I sold our business a few years ago, I'm still very, very much involved in a lot of projects. Yeah. I think I've heard you, Yvonne, say that before about uh, do the opposite. It seems like you've always done, or maybe I'm not sure if that's the exact quote, but you do what everybody else isn't doing, or maybe you've just done your own thing. Yeah. Has that been? Yeah. I mean, if you want to do commodity products and compete with everybody else, it's just it's just like this, you know? And I mean, when I was a kid, I, I could play baseball as well as anybody, but when it came time for a game, I'd clutch up. So I decided early on, I'm going to play my own game. You play your own game, you can always be a winner. You yep. play someone else's game, you're going to lose. And so, you know, I, I, I've given talks to uh, universities at commencement exercises. And I said, look, guys, life is a lot easier breaking the rules than conforming. And, you know, if you come out with unique products that no one else has, you don't have to compete with them with marketing and sales and designs and everything life is easy yeah and how many times have we heard and we still hear it i'll never forget when we set set out to raise six million bucks to do the three dollar bridge project on the madison and everybody said you can't raise six million bucks i said i love to hear that you can't and we did and we did in partnership with a lot of really great partners and that led to other projects and now we've got the madison valley almost 60 percent protected by conservation easement. Wow. Part of developmental rights. So what you see is what you get from an animal migration corridor aspect to wild trout. And it all began because somebody said, you can't do this. But by God, we did it with all those great partners, whether they're Trust for Public Lands, Montana Trout Unlimited, right on down the line. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And you, we've talked a lot about yellow, well, all over the country, but especially Yellowstone and then also Yosemite. And I have, I know Yvonne, you have some stories because of the climbing background, you, your original company you founded, it became Black Diamond. I think that's the company you left eventually because climbing changed. I'm interested on the climbing. I want to touch on this because this is a question I've been having. I think you got out of climbing because it changed, right? There was maybe not so much, um, I don't know if danger is the right word, but I recently watched a movie, Alex Honnold, who climbed Yosemite free solo free the movie right free so he climbed it without ropes what's your take i'm just curious on you because you're a climber nobody's ever done that before like w when you see, hear that story what are your thoughts about what alex did there well i could hardly watch the film i mean my hands were sweating like crazy and i i mean it's it's frightening to watch but 
that's the way the evolution of climbing should go. And it's going the opposite. They're taking, right now, there's there's a, a bunch of climbers that are trying to pass legislation to allow putting bolts in wilderness areas because they feel like it's unsafe to go into wilderness areas without bolting. And some of the climbs I did on El Cap that took us 10 days Guys are climbing it in, in a few hours. You know, the nose, I think it's less, certainly less than three hours. And I, that's, I, I'm absolutely stoked with that. And that's, that's the direction it should be going. And, and now, you know, the, the, you got climbing in the Olympics. And it's all controlled. It's, it's absolutely safe. When you take the danger out of climbing, it's no longer climbing anymore. It belongs in the sport pages of the newspaper, whereas you won't find alpine climbing in the Himalayas and stuff in the sport pages of the newspapers, except for Everest, of course. Everest, right. Yeah. So it's unacceptable now to stick your neck out. And the word adventure means nothing anymore. You know, you got adventure travel. Right. I mean, you're on a cruise ship having an adventure. Yep. Great definition of Venture in Webster's denotes some kind of risk, right? Whether it's a financial venture or adventure. Well, you take the risk out, it's a meaningless word. Yeah, that's right. Have you been ever been, I think you've been close to death once on the mountain, right? There was an avalanche. Has, has that has that happened? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I was climbing with my Italian friend in Italy and I, I was laying in bed one morning and he had asked me the day before, how many of the nine lives that, that I have left? Well, <laughs> I started counting only near-death experiences, and I was up to 15. <laughs> Jeez. Wow. <laughs> From bicycle accidents to getting, you know, chicken pox when I was 40 years old and almost died. I mean, it went on and on. 15 now. Wow. Wow. Well, you guys, you guys both look great. You both look healthy. What's, what's been your secret there? I know you have the Patagonia provisions. You're doing some good stuff with some of the, you know, like the organic we get in all this, but I mean, what, what's your guy, what would be your advice for somebody? My dad is about 84. I think he's pretty close to you, Yvonne. Like, how do you stay healthy? How have you guys done it? What's the secret? I, I can tell you from my standpoint, I wore out, my wife and I have wore out five Nordic tracks. We have a Nordic incline machine. I'll be 75 the next time around. I've taken 45 mature bull elk in 45 wow. years and got awful mountains across the road, all on public land. You just, you keep on going. And when you, I, 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 I'm always amazed. I see these young guys and they look like they're 90 years old. They're so unfit. They weigh 300 pounds. They can't, they say they can't fish anymore. Their feet hurt. Their knees are shot. And it's because they just gave up and sat on the sofa and watched Monday night football. Right. I watch Monday night football, but I also go out there. I've got over 200 days on the rivers this year. Amazing. Uh, bird hunting all, all the time on climbing mountains to, to hunt elk and big orange sheep and mountain goats. You keep on going. Yeah, yeah never, never give up. Never, never stop. Up. Yvonne and I fish. <laughs> I don't know how many days we've got on the river together fishing, and we wear each other out. We used to stay awake till 10 o'clock at night, shooting the breeze and having a beer. Now about nine o'clock, it's kind of like, well, I guess it's time to go to bed. 
That's right. When was the last time you fished in a drift boat? Oh, God, 20. <laughs> I can't tell you, 20 years ago. I weighed. I, I weighed. You know, I've got a waiting staff now. <laughs> wow. But again, I like to wait. I like to walk and wait and watch and do what the river tells me to do, not sit in a boat and watch two bobbers mindlessly go down the river. You know, there's always something going on on a river. You can find rising fish or you can find feeding fish, and you you just do what the river tells you to do. And that's where our, our little simple flies, our little pheasant tail flies come in. And that's why we're really excited that that book is coming out. Yeah, this is going to be great. I, I'm excited too. I think that this is exactly what, you know, I think fly fishing needs, right? Like we said, simplifying it. Do you see, you know, as we looked at, we talked about that example, Yvonne, with you getting out of rock climbing, I think because things changed. Have you ever had that thought with fly fishing, whereas you saw more and more of this stuff come up the thousand dollar rods? Have you ever thought like, fly, well, fly fishing is going the same way as hiking or climbing? I'm out of here. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's the industry promoting that. And I don't see the industry stepping up and uh, saying, you know, hey, you don't need a thousand dollar rod. Here's here's an echo rod for two hundred fifty. That'll do everything you want. I don't see them doing that. And you know what? We have uh, about six thousand members of One Percent for the Planet now. Half are overseas, and you know how many companies are in One Percent that from fishing industry there's 30,000 manufacturers of fishing gear in America I'm not talking about retail stores just manufacturers of fishing gear 30,000 13 belong to 1% wow isn't that sad that's the saddest thing ever yeah. surfers are more concerned about the environment than fishermen are wineries and barber shops and hairstylists and yoga parlors that's crazy yeah. We're going to change that. I think this is that's going to be one of our call to actions. And so 1% for the plan, if somebody wants to get involved, they have a, a company right now, where do they go? Just 1% for the plan and they can sign up and learn about it there? Go to 1%fortheplanet.org. All spelled out, no numbers, 1%fortheplanet.org. Take a look at that website. Just follow the, follow the links there and away they go. And they can become a member. Their, chances are they're probably doing 3% whether it's advertising or whatnot, and you join 1%, you get 1%. It's the best form of advertising because it's an alliance of potentially customers, and they will become customers. You'll grow your business the right way. Perfect. Perfect. We'll definitely send them out. I want to, uh, you know, uh, I know, Vaughn, you've talked about, uh, you know, Mars and how, you know, maybe that's not the place we should be putting our, our resources in to get to Mars. Um, you know, as you <laughs> as you look out at Patagonia, you got this big th movement going, right, where you're in it. Sounds like you're fully in Patagonia. You know, again, what do you think is next? What's the big thing we can expect? Or do you even know what that next big thing is? Because you've blown every at every point. It seems like you've blown us away with these new these new ideas, these things you've come up with. What's next for you? Well, I... I don't know. I, I mean, how can I say what life's going to be like when Trump becomes president again? Right. Do you think that's <laughs> going to happen? Do you think that's a possible, a real possibility? You never know. Uh, I mean, I never would have guessed he would have become president last time. So I don't know what to say, and I don't know what the future looks like. But it's, it looks pretty grim to me. And I, I mean, I mean, look right now. These western rivers, the Jefferson, the Big Hole, this, I mean, yeah. the fish are crashing like crazy. 
And what's causing that? Well, it's a combination of tons of stuff. We've got a guy now going around gathering information about uh, the loss of mayflies. You know, we've lost 70% of the winged insects worldwide. Wow. 70%. 40% of all terrestrials are gone. And the trout are starving. And every time these irrigators lower the height of a, of a river, it leaves billions of insects stranded. And you wonder where the insects are. I mean, you know, I used to drive down this, the road and you'd have to clean your windshield off every 15 minutes. You don't see that anymore. And, you know, on the Henry's Fork, they say now the, it, the, the mayflies are one size smaller than they used to be. And the hatches happen in April instead of June when the Henry's Fork opens up on the Harriman Ranch. So everything's changed, and and the scientists say we're going to lose forty percent of our cold water fisheries by twenty thirty. That's not very long from now. And that's then we allow polluters like like uh, Big Sky and Yellowstone Club to pollute the Gallatin River. Yeah, and laws are in place, and we we just want to look the other way. And it's time, you know, you have the David and Goliath aspect. You've got a small Cottonwood Environmental Law Center fighting those big communities and uh, those big developments. And it's just simple. I mean, they're polluting our water and we have laws in place and everybody wants, politicians don't want to enforce them because it's that almighty dollar that one might donate to their campaign. And it's really sad and society as a whole suffers. Yeah, I mean, I, I used to be an ice climber. I wrote the book on ice climbing, the first book ever written about ice climbing. All those climbs I did are gone. I mean, I made first ascents on Mount Kenya. The Diamond Couloir on Mount Kenya is gone. I've done a whole bunch of waterfalls in Canada. They're gone. So I don't know what the future is going to look like as far as sport goes. So, yeah, I mean, we're going to be tying flies for carpet. You know, here's a couple of old guys talking, and that's why, you know, my bet is on the young people. And I think they're getting it. And I think they're, look, look at the young people in, in the state of Montana suing the, the <laughs> Yeah, that was great. I mean, wow. Good for them. And we need more of that kind of activism and advocacy. Yeah. That's what's going to save this planet. Now they're going to sue California. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So there are some people there in the young. I mean, that's always right. That's the next part when we're gone, whatever, 50 years from now. There's this new group of people that are coming up and you think, you know, they're, why do they, it seems like they do have a different, I don't know what it is, a different ethos maybe than some of the, these old politicians and people that are out there. Well, and they can see what's happened. They can see directly in such a short time what's happening. Yeah. Gotcha. Nice. Well, I've got a bazillion questions here that we're not going to get to today, and I want to respect your guys' time. So I want to do a quick little conservation shout out. This is our segment where we take it out. We take the show out of here, and I try to do this as much as I can on the podcast. We give a shout out to a conservation group. Um, I want to give a shout out to Fishhound Expeditions, who's one of our partners. They uh, got me on to Susitna River Coalition, which is a really small group up in Alaska trying to save some of these roadless areas. 
And uh, there's a mu- there's a bunch of these little groups around the country. Do you think maybe first for you guys, can you give us a conservation group you want to shout out to other than one percent for the planet? And then also, is that the focus? I know Patagonia does a lot of work with local groups. Is that where we need to start? Start locally, find your local group, and 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 kind of start there. Well, locally here, you know, we have population crashes, as Yvonne alluded to, on the Ruby, the Big Hole, and the Beaverhead River. The Upper Missouri Waterkeeper out of Bozeman is is huge, and they're they're in the fight and they're getting their hands dirty and they're doing the best they can. And I advise anybody and everybody that fishes uh, this area to get involved with Upper Missouri River Waterkeeper. Strong organization, strong advocacy, bare bones budget, and they need our help right now to save those fisheries. Perfect. Perfect. That's awesome. That's a good one. And I'm going to just bump around as we real quick snippet, uh, quick uh, questions here. So Yvonne, uh, you're looking back at your 25 years old. What advice now would you give that person when you're 25 year old self? Well, I would just say, follow their, your passion. You know, life is about working as something you love to do. Don't do a job that you have to drag yourself to work, you know, and go work for a company that you believe in. You know, you, you may you may have a job at one of the best companies in the world making the best product, giving really good benefits to the employees, and and it's the best product of this guy, but you're making landmines. Mm, right. <laughs> How can you feel good about that? Yeah. You know, or you're making ethanol. I mean, the world's worst form of gasoline. Or you're working in the tar sands, or you know, don't do that stuff. Or or any corporation that you don't feel like they're doing the right thing, you don't have to do that. Find that find a company that you really can respect and feel good about going to work. Amazing, amazing. Or start your own company and do it by breaking the rules. Yeah, lead by example. There you go. That's it. Break the rules. I, that's something I think a good take home message. Do it by breaking the rules and. And so we're going to we're going to stick with that. And I want to say the gear, I didn't wear this just for this jacket. I don't know if you noticed just because of you. <laughs> this R1 R2 fleece stuff is is kind of crazy. I don't know what whoever designed this or however you make it, but I can't take this thing off. I've got, you know, but talk about your gear. You've got a couple maybe a fly fishing gear. What are you working on? Can you give us a little insight on some of that? I know your waders are are awesome. You guys have some good stuff going. What else can we look for on the fly fishing gear? I'm revolutionizing every single piece of gear. I tell you, our waiting staff, you know, you think waiting staffs are for old people to wait. But I I wait almost up to my neck a lot of times, let me tell you. I mean, serious waiting. And without a waiting staff, you're really at risk. And now I know a lot of really hardcore young fishermen are using waiting staffs and able to get to places they wouldn't be able to otherwise. And we make the best. It's we make an unbelievable one. And I see guys with you know, big wooden waiting staffs. And, oh my! God. <laughs> so anyway, that's one product that we perfected, I think. And I'm going through every single product that we make. We've got a pair of boots now, handmade in Italy, that are unbelievable. They're the lightest boot, waiting boot there is, and they'll last for 300 days of non-floating fishing. Yeah, and look at the, uh, was it the AFMA site? You just, last week, just won best of show and oh, really? five or six 
products. Yeah. Make sure you check that out. Okay. Wading boots, waders, tropical hoodies. It's amazing. Perfect. Yeah, we will. We'll, we'll put a link to that, some of the, at the after there. And then, so these products, and again, they're all, everything you guys are doing, like even this I'm wearing here, right? You're trying to tweak with recycled and everything is always focused. Is that kind of still trying to get the tech better so you can decrease your uh, footprint? Yeah, and, and make it all more responsible. I mean, that that fleece, when you wash it, you have microfibers going down the drain. And so we worked with Samsung in Korea, and now they... They're coming out with their washers and dryers with filters that filter 99% of microplastics, not just from our products, but from any synthetic product. And we convinced them to do that. That's amazing. So, you know, it's one thing to make a, a really good product, but it's another thing to make it responsible as well. There you go. Well, this has been amazing, you guys. I really appreciate both of you coming on here and sharing your uh, your wisdom with our, our listeners. I think that it's been inspirational for me, for everybody who's been listening to this podcast. And uh, and you have the new book coming out, which is exciting. We'll stay in touch with you that uh, as that moves forward. But again, thanks for all the good work, and, and I'm hopeful to keep in touch with you guys moving ahead. Great. Well, thank you for your time. Now we're going fishing. Good deal. All right. Good luck. We'll, we'll, hear, uh, we'll check back with you hear how that goes. Okay. Good. Thanks so much, Steve. Here. That is a wrap. You can grab all of the show notes at wetflyswing.com. And please follow us on Instagram and share this episode out with someone you love. Please send me an email, Dave at wetflyswing.com, if you have any feedback or want us to put together an episode on this podcast for you. Check in anytime. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and would love to meet up with you on the water. We have new fly fishing schools going all year long and all around the country. So if you want to connect, let's do it right now. All right, time to get out of here. I hope you have a great evening. I hope you have a great morning or great afternoon wherever in the world you are. And I appreciate you for stopping by and checking out the show today. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.